Hi there, welcome to our podcast for College Catholics, where we discuss faith and spirituality from a Catholic perspective. I'm Father Patrick. In the previous episode, we spoke a little bit about the sacrament of marriage. So this time, I'd like to share with you some reflections regarding what things might harm marriages and what things might strengthen them. And this can be helpful not only for people who are married, but also for young men who are uh, con- young men and women who are considering uh, dating and uh, so forth for everyone in society, because it is important to understand that marriages are the building blocks of society, and this uh, institution of marriage is a lifelong covenant. It's a lifelong covenant uh, similar to the one between Christ and the Church. Actually, Saint Paul calls it like an image or a symbol of the covenant between Christ and the church. So this is why it is important for all of us to have in mind some of these concepts for ourselves, but also to give good recommendation and advice to others. Uh, so first, let us look at what things can damage marriages. And I know that uh, you might be married, single, consecrated, but I think all this can be useful to know. Uh, the first danger are some misguided philosophies or worldviews For example, a very old philosophy that is constantly popping up again and again with different facades is called Manichaeism. So that's a weird word, but it's a dualist theory. So it's a theory of philosophy or a way of thinking that believes in two two principles. So that's why it's called dualism. And it suggests that all things in this world originate in two principles. It manifests itself even in symbols or certain spiritualities. Two principles that are one is a good principle and the other one is a bad principle, right? Or a good God and a bad God, or a good spirit and a bad spirit. Uh, But as an origin of all things, and you might have seen the yin and yang symbol that has some elements of this type of philosophy. Manichaeism believes basically that there are two gods. One God, one God is good and one is evil. But they are both like of a similar power. So there is not a God and a demon. We believe God and the devil, but the devil is a created angel that fell away and became evil. Here, in this dualist philosophy, they believe in two equally powerful gods, so to speak, or principles. And one is good and one is evil. And they're both constantly in battle with each other. The good God is at the origin of light, spirit, truth, and life, and the evil God is at the origin of darkness, matter, falsehood, suffering, death, and the like. So although this might sound crazy and may have nothing to do with marriage, according to this philosophy, while our souls come from the good God, our bodies, which are material, come from the evil God. And therefore, as a consequence, maybe not for everybody, but to some extent as a consequence in some cases, many think that marriage, because it tends to cause the multiplication of material beings, is also evil. They think marriage is evil because it multiplies bodies, so to speak. And therefore, for many dualist or Manichaean philosophies, marriage must be avoided, right? Uh, so the Catechism, very in a very summarized way, uh, describes Manichaeism, dualism, agnosticism in the following way. And you can find this in number 285. 
it says that others have affirmed the existence of two eternal principles, good and evil, light and darkness, locked up in a permanent conflict. And in this case, it's dualism and Manichaeism that think that way. According to some of these conceptions, the world, at least the physical world, is evil, the product of a fall, and thus it is to be rejected or left behind. And that's what Gnosticism thinks. So up to there, the Catechism. So of course, uh, for Catholic theology, all the human being, soul and body, with its uh, spiritual powers, with its passions, its emotions, its senses, all of it is created by God, the only God, the one God, who is infinitely good and powerful and knowledgeable. And therefore, everything that God creates is good, even the matter, darkness, and so forth. So in a word, marriage is good, and babies are awesome, not evil, all right? Uh, so another worldview or sort of theory uh, that also uh, attempts against marriage is hedonism. Uh, you might not, not have heard it called that way, but you certainly must have realized it exists today in our society. Uh, Father Hardin of the Society of Jesus, who has passed away, in his modern Catholic dictionary describes hedonism in this way. He says that it's the doctrine that pleasure is the goal of life and is man's highest good. By pleasure, true hedonists understand the imperfect enjoyments of this life only. So in a word, uh, hedonism is the idea that our happiness comes by enjoying the things of this material world. And in that sense, man's fulfillment in life depends on the achievement of the pleasure of all our senses, and typically, uh, for that same uh, philosophy, any permanent commitment to a person, like marriage, or a lengthy obligation to care for children become a hindrance to that enjoyment of life. In a word, hedonism makes you selfish and self-centered. And it makes you concerned primarily on enjoying the pleasures of life for yourself and to the max, right? So that's why it attempts against ma uh, marriage. Uh, another common tendency is that of materialism, which... Uh, thinks that man's fulfillment in life depends on acquiring as much wealth as possible uh, through work, through business, or through any other way. Of course, then, uh, marriage and children are typically considered as a hindrance to the accumulation of wealth uh, because you have to pay for their upbringing and their food and their diapers and also then pay for high school and college. So that's why children are a hindrance and even sometimes they're considered a burden to the development of the career or the profession in the world of the spouses. So behind this conception, of course, is the idea that the world, that the worldly success will bring you greater happiness and fulfillment than if you were to nurture a profound relationship with your spouse and with your children. And that's not true. It's much better to have to form a home with true relationships, with friendship, with love, where God is present, than to be the most successful person in the world. 
Now, from a more practical and spiritual point of view, there are some other things that also threaten the institution of marriage. So I will just name some that can help us uh, be aware of them. First one, very, very serious one, is the easy access to abortion, abortion pills and contraceptives that there is in our society today. This attempts directly against the goods of marriage, children, and the unity of the spouse. Another thing is the easy access to pornography. And this, again, is the same problem. Uh, I'm not sure if the, those who produce the industry of pornography had this in mind as a goal, but, uh, of course, pornography destroys marriages, destroys uh, the personal relationship between husband and wife, and also between children and parents. Another uh, thing that attempts against marriage is the misunderstanding of love, true love, right? Misunderstanding. Some people think it's an emotion or an external attraction for another person instead of being an interior choice by which we choose to seek the well-being, the good of another person in spite of the sacrifices that it implies. And true love is really a participation in the love of God. Now, in that sense, another uh, thing, another a common vice that will damage your marriage is pride and arrogance, something that this world is full of, right? The world uh, honors people who are prideful and who are uh, self-assertive and extreme, right? Now, especially this pride and arrogance is dangerous when it manifests itself as the unwillingness to sacrifice yourself and your own personal ideas for the good of your spouse, right? So that's uh, attempts against the heart of marriage. Another thing that uh, is negative too is the unwillingness to forgive and to give the other person the benefit of the doubt when there is an argument or a disagreement. In this sense, um, a very interesting example happens uh, appears in the scriptures in the book of Tobit, I think it's the uh, first chapter, chapter three or so, where uh, Tobit has his wife, and Tobit is blind, and his wife is working to support the family, and she one day gets a gift of a little uh, goat. She brings him to the house, and Tobit thinks that his wife stole the goat, and he says, give it back, give it back to its owners. And the wife says, no, it was given to me as a gift. And he does not want to believe her, and kind of gets really upset and, and angry. And instead of reacting in a good way and thinking, okay, the, he is blind and he's a little cranky today, she lashes out at him as well and says, ah, now the true self of your yourself comes out. Where's all your virtue and all the goodness that you claim to, to, to live and so forth? So they get into an argument. Instead of trying to understand each other and, you know, forgive and give themselves the benefit of the doubt. Uh, so a misunderstanding can lead to many uh, arguments and argumentations and anger and then resentment, right? So the Catechism uh, summarize, summarizes all this uh, saying in number 1606, every man experiences evil around him and within himself. This experience makes itself felt in the relationships between man and woman. Their union has always been threatened by discord, a spirit of domination, infidelity, jealousy, 
and conflicts that can escalate into hatred and separation. And then in number 1607, the Catechism con continues, According to faith, the disorder we notice so painfully does not stem from the nature of man and woman, nor from the nature of their relations, but from sin. As a break with God, the first sin has, for its first consequence, the rupture of the original communion between man and woman. Their relations were distorted by a mutual recriminations. Their mutual attraction, the Creator's own gift, changed into a relationship of domination and lust. And the beautiful vocation of a man and woman to be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth was now burdened by the pain of childbirth and the toil of work. Up to there, the Catechism. Now, but there's also a positive side to all this. First of all, of course, marriage is a great thing created by God. And God wants marriages to thrive, to be fruitful, and to be a path of sanctification for the spouses and for their children. And this is something I'd personally like to highlight. The fact that marriage, with its difficulties, its pains, its challenges, its crosses, and its joys and happiness, it's a path to holiness, and therefore a path to fulfillment, and also a path to happiness. So these three things go together, right? Happiness, fulfillment, and holiness. And marriage is a path to that, is a very effective path to those three things. So in spite of all the negative forces of sin and worldly opinions, there are very positive things to support marriage. And this is why the Catechism in number 1608 also says something that is very profound and at the root of healthy marriages. It says that in spite of the wound of original sin, I quote, the order of creation persists though seriously disturbed. To heal the wounds of sin, man and woman need the help of the grace that God in his infinite mercy never refuses them. Without his help, man and woman cannot achieve the union of their lives for which God created them in the beginning. So up to there, the catechism. So here are uh, some things that will help, in my opinion, make marriages better. First of all, to put God at the center of their relationship, even from the moment of starting to date, right? When one starts dating, God has to be already at the center of that relationship. True love cannot be anything else but a participation in the love of God. Or, if you want, true love between husband and wife must be in accordance to God's law, and it must be a participation of in that love, which is God himself. So God is love. So if someone wants to love a spouse, that love has to be a participation of God himself. This is why the true worship of God, through their own lives, must be the atmosphere in which husband and wife lived their marriage. 
This is why I recommend always when some people ask me, well, what what could we read to have our good dating relationship and to uh, prepare ourselves for marriage? There's a great book by Fulton Sheen called Three to Get Married. So the three are husband, wife, and God. So three to get married. It's a great book that I recommend everyone to read. And in that sense, there must be, of course, for a good marriage, there must be time to pray together, time of prayer, right? The family that prays together stays together. Of course, there must be individual prayer as well. I'm not denying that. But prayer in common, be it the, uh, maybe the family rosary or a time of adoration of the Blessed Sacrament together or attending Mass together is a very great way to strengthen the bond between husband and wife and between parents and children. Another very important aspect that will strengthen family relationships is to spend quality time together whenever possible, of course. Quality time in meaningful conversations without cell phones, TVs, or any other type of noise right, that distracts. In this way, both spouses and children can manifest their mutual affection or their difficulties, express their expectations, their fears, sometimes their disappointments at the other person, but in a in a kind and charitable way, right? This is why I typically recommend that husband and wife uh, should have some time where they go on a weekly date, or at least every so often, to be able to have quality time together. And finally, while there might be several other things to be recommended, I always encourage spouses to learn to be willing to forgive. As the Lord said, we have to forgive 70 times 7. We must forgive. Not only forgive each other, but even learn to forgive ourselves. Because sometimes, surprisingly, our incapability to forgive ourselves leads to anger, to hatred, to impatience with others, and then we cannot forgive others because at the root of the problem, we haven't forgiven ourselves for our past misgivings or sins. So let me finish uh, this episode with a very meaningful text from the, from the Catechism that I hope will give you a great understanding of this mystery and grace of the sacrament of marriage. And I quote the Catechism. This unequivocal insistence on the indissolubility of the marriage bond may have left some perplexed and could seem to be a demand impossible to realize. However, Jesus has not placed on spouses a burden impossible to bear or too heavy. By coming to restore the original order of creation disturbed by sin, Christ himself gives the strength and grace to live marriage in the new dimension of the kingdom of God. It is by following Christ, renouncing themselves and taking up their crosses, that spouses will be able to receive the original meaning of marriage and live it with the help of Christ. This grace of Christian marriage is a fruit of Christ's cross the source of all Christian life. So, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Let us uh, pray together that our Lord may continue to bless the world and His Church 
with strong faithful couples that may become an example to their children and to society. If you liked this episode, please share it with others. And also, if you can, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. May God bless you, and we will see you next time.